Well, if you'd open your Bibles to Luke chapter 10, verse 30. But before we start, let's loosen up a little bit. You know, my wife tells me to do this, get rid of some tension. Uh, my name is Ed Olivieri. Uh, maybe a couple of you know me, I don't know. Uh, I've been coming here 26 years. Uh, I was saved here, born again here, met my lovely wife here, got married here. I love Hope Chapel. I truly do. It's home. And you're my family. Now, since you're my family, I'd like you all to do me a favor. I'd like everybody to smile. Nice big smile. Come on, big smile. Come on. We can bigger smile. Remember, they call me Smiley. So big smile. Okay, now I'm gonna tell you why. Somebody told me that when you're speaking, you should pick out targets. Smiley faces. People to look towards when you're when you're speaking. So now I have my targets. Okay? The brightest smiles. Thank you. Okay, um, I guess before I start, I got a couple of quick questions that I, I don't want answers to, but I want you to think about them, okay? Number one, are you a giving person? Are you a giving person? We're gonna talk about the Good Samaritan. And on top of that, what would your neighbors or your friends say? Would they say you're a giving person? So let's let them mull over in our, in our heads and our hearts. What I want to start with is the world says, pay it forward. Has everybody heard that expression, pay it forward? One good deed deserves another. And I was thinking about that, pay it forward. It made me think of dominoes. Everybody's played with dominoes, right? You set up a long string of dominoes. You knock over the first one, and then it's click, 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 click. They all go down. So it's kind of like that, right? But who pushes the first domino? Hmm. Who pushes over the first domino and pay it forward? God. Jesus. He gave us freedom. He gave us salvation. Gave us Jesus. That's an act of paying it forward for us. Gratitude. Thank you. So let's keep that in mind. Okay, open your Bibles. Uh, Luke 10, 25 to 37. On one occasion, an expert of the law stood, uh, stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to have eternal life? To an... In, excuse me, to inherit eternal life. What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus said. Do this and you will live. He got it. He got the right answer. He answered the question. He might even have passed the test, but he wanted to justify himself. 
Think about this. Teacher of the law wanted to justify himself. Wanted to show that he was the teacher, the smart one. So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And Jesus, in reply, said, a man was going down to Jerusalem from Jericho. When he fell into the hands of robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins, and he gave them to the innkeeper. Look after them, he said. Look after him, they said. he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man that was beaten? He said, the one that took pity on him, one that had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. A little history on the players, if you will. Uh, like the position of the priest. I've chosen four, four points on it. One, priest was chosen of God. In Exodus 28, it tells us that Aaron and his sons were chosen to be priests. Two, property of God. Again, in Exodus, this is to be a lasting ordinance for Aaron and his descendants. Three, holy to God, set apart, devoted, holy to God. Four, he offered gifts to God and took back gifts from God. Now, Aaron and his sons made the offerings to God and God provided for them. Priests today, all the elect, from, from Jews to Gentiles, all the elect saints are called to be priests. Now, did you notice the four points of what a priest is or was? They sound familiar? Because those are the four points of what a Christian is. We are chosen by God, property of God, holy to God, but we're called to lay down our lives for God. In 1 Peter 2.9, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Same thing. The Levites, the men of Levi, they were the sacerdotal tribe, all ministers out of whom the priests were taken. Aaron's family. Now their duties... A Levite stood midway between the people and the priesthood. A minister. Midway. They could not sacrifice, burn incense, or see the holy things. But they stood midway. They were there to minister to the people, to assist the priest in the offerings and stuff of that sort. 
Did he minister? Did he minister to the man that was beaten? Did the priest stop to pray over the man that was beaten? Okay. But the Samaritan, the Samaritan did. Just a little bit of history on Samaria. It was built around 880 B.C. by an Israeli king named uh, Amri. And he was a bad king at that. Right? But he built the city of Samaria. The city fell to the Assyrians 722. was repopulated by groups from the Assyrian Empire who brought their, their idolatry with them. Uh, which resulted in intermarrying with the, the native Jews of the area and causing a mixed race of the Samaritans that was despised by the full-blooded Jews of the time. And then, in 409 B.C., Manasseh, a priest uh, of priestly descent, having been expelled by Nehemiah for an unlawful marriage, decided that he was going to build a temple right there in Samaria for the people that were there. So now we've got two temples, right? So once they built their own temple, they stopped going to the feast. They stopped showing any kind of kindness to the, um, their, their fellow tribesmen that were going down to Jerusalem, that were passing by. Uh, and at some points they would even try to waylay them, to keep them from going to the temple for the feast. It, it turned out that it was a long-standing racial and religious um, bigotry that started way back when under Jeroboam. Now, here's the clinker. Both parties claiming to serve God. Both parties claiming to love God. And they've been battling for almost a thousand years here. Why did the priest and the Levite cross the road? Why did they go to the other side? Okay. Ezekiel 44. A priest must not defile himself by going near a dead person. You notice it doesn't say a priest must not defile himself by touching a dead person. It says going near. I started thinking about that. How close is near? When you think about um, tradition, uh, somebody that's following all the Sabbath uh, regulations, uh, kosher, on a Sabbath he will not even turn on a light bulb, turn a light switch, nothing, because it can be interpreted as work. So under those guidelines, how close is near? Is it six inches? Six feet? Six yards? I don't know. But I can see where you would be very cautious not to get near. Maybe that's why he walked on the other side of the street. So anyway, a priest must not defile himself by going near a dead person. However, if the dead person was his father or mother, son or daughter, brother or unmarried sister, then he may defile himself. After he is cleansed, he must wait seven days. On the day he goes into the inner court of the sanctuary to minister in the sanctuary, he is to offer a sin offering for himself, declares the Sovereign Lord. 
Now, perhaps the priest was on his way home from his time in service, and he didn't want to become defiled. Or perhaps he was on his way to the temple for his time of service, where if that's the case, he'd be thinking, I can't go near this guy. I can't defile myself because then I couldn't perform my duties, my priestly duties. And besides that, getting involved in something like that was really beneath his position. So we might ask ourselves, how could he ignore a brother in distress? We're going to talk a little bit about rationalizing. But how could they ignore a brother in distress? Seems it was expedient at the time to obey this law, not to be defiled. I can't go near him. I can't take a chance. But who would willingly defile themselves and then have to go pay a fine on top of it? All right, he'd be defiled for seven days, then he'd have to go do a sin offering. So it's like paying a fine. But at the same time, he's ignoring the command to help a brother. And it is a command. Is that a legitimate excuse to ignore the one command to follow the other one? In Deuteronomy 22, if you see your brother's ox or sheep straying, do not ignore it, but be sure to take it back to him. If the brother does not live near you or if you do not know who he is, take it home with you and keep it until he comes looking for it. Then give it back to him. Do the same if you find your brother's donkey or, or cloak or anything he loses. Do not ignore it. Again, does obeying one law make it right to ignore another? In Isaiah 58, is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked to clothe him. Back to the good Samaritan. He went to him and banished his wounds, poured oil and wine. Then he put him on his own donkey and took him to the inn and took care of him. Sounds like he got it. It's right here in Isaiah. Do not turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. And your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, Here am I. Now, doing what's right. It seems like the Good Samaritan did what was right. But the priest and the Levite turned to turned a blind eye to it. There's a price when we have to do what's right sometimes. We have to give up something to, to do something right. The Good Samaritan did. Poured wine, oil, bandage, gave, gave him his donkey to ride on. Two pieces of silver, take care of him. And when I come back, I'll reimburse you for anything else it cost. 
So he did. He went out of his way. But today, it's a price to pay for it. Not everyone wants to pay a price, but a true man of God would pay the price. He wouldn't care. Um, a little verse from Mark with Jesus. 1, 41. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leper, leprosy left him and he was cured. And we know that a leper you wouldn't go near. They would walk down the street and proclaim unclean, unclean, so people wouldn't go near them and take a chance on getting leprosy. You would be defiled if you touched a leopard. But Jesus still reached out, touched him, and healed him. He didn't care. Now, what should we obey? The letter of the law or the spirit of the law? It's a hard question. Letter of the law, spirit of the law. How would we rationalize ignoring others in distress? You know, I thought of it, uh, I think the last service, rationalizing. We, we talk about it every now and then. It's a ration of lies. And it made me think back to before I was a Christian. I was really good at that. Well, I could rationalize anything, make it work so that I could do it. And, uh, but then after I became a Christian, I couldn't do that anymore. So I reversed it. Now I can rationalize how to do what's right, how to come up with the right answer. Who is it going to benefit? But how do we rationalize ignoring others in distress? All right, I have a little scenario that I came up with that uh, maybe we can relate, relate to a little bit better. It's a little drastic, but I think it'll get us all thinking. It's Saturday morning. We go out, we take our, our shiny car down to the car wash. We have it detailed. And when they're done with it, it looks so beautiful. Smells so clean and new and is spotless. Beautiful car. We take it home. Sunday morning, you get up, have your breakfast, start getting ready. You get dressed for, for church with your Sunday go to meet and close. And you're thinking, I've got to hurry. I don't want to be late. My pastor would frown on me coming in late. And I wouldn't want to look insincere. So you go out to the garage, you get in your car, and you back out of the garage. You're on your way. But it's raining. It's raining out. But that's okay. You're in a dry and warm, beautiful, clean, smell-good car, right? In your nice designer clothes, getting ready to go to church. As you down, drive down the highway... You noticed up ahead some, some smoke. And as you get a little bit closer, you see a car burning. And you see a woman standing off to the side with two little children next to her. 
and the rain's coming down and the smoke is billowing out of the car, this black soot. The woman's standing there with her two children, sopping wet, covered in soot, and you think, oh my, I'm going to pray for them right now that the police come and help them. I would like to stop, but I'll be late for church if I stop. And besides, they would get my clean car all dirty and smelling like smoke. That's a little drastic. But in some circumstance, we've all been in those, or some little way. And uh, I confessed the last service. One time, I'm driving down the freeway. And uh, I saw on the side of the road a car with a flat tire. And the guy seemed to be not know what to do. You know, he was kind of distressed. And, and I'm figuring, eh, he can call AAA. <laughs> and I'll drive right on by. So I did. I drove right by. I didn't get 10 yards past, and I started getting convicted that I should stop and help him. It turned out I went to the next exit, got off, circled all the way back, got back on, went over. And I turned out, uh, I spent about 15, 20 minutes with this gentleman. Uh, I couldn't help him with his car, so I took him to a gas station. No big deal. I wasn't late for anything. I didn't miss anything. No reason not to stop. Okay? Now, nice clean car. Your clothes smelling really good. Whose car is it? Ah, okay. Amen. Whose designer clothes are they? Okay. Very good. Well, we can go home now. Uh, would, God, God, would God prefer we sit in a warm, dry church or be out there ministering to somebody? Would God prefer that, that Levite to be in the warm temple undefiled or ministering to somebody? I'd say ministering to somebody. Second um, Peter 1.3. His divine power has given, ev- given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through our knowledge of him. Do we know him? How well do we know him? I love this. Through our knowledge of him. How can we know him if we don't spend time with him? We don't spend time in his word. I mean, that's how we get to know one another, isn't it? We spend time with each other. Mini church. Great place to learn, to know people. All right, we come to church. We socialize uh, in the OV room after church, before church. So all great times to get to know people. Our brothers and our sisters, I might add. So, now, why do we come to church? To get to know God, right? To get fed spiritual food and coffee. Coffee's good. 
So, uh, all right, so we come to church to get fed. We come to church to know God. But if we're not willing to put the principles uh, that are taught in church that we get out of the Bible into action, then why do we come? Now, this particular person in the, in the car, could they have worshipped God better doing ministry than sitting in church? Sure. Now, these things that we have, the shiny car, designer clothes, our home, even our church, they all come from God. Now, we all said God's, God's clothes, God's car. When we pray, and we're saying grace, do we really, we say, thank you, God. Do we really believe that all of this comes from God? Thank you, God. We're not just mouthing the words, but we believe that God takes care of our every need. Okay, amen. Some time ago, I heard Zach say that he was born in Manhattan Beach. I was born on Long Island, New York. Many of us here were born right here in America. Now, that wasn't luck of the draw. It wasn't luck that we were born here. And we sure didn't earn it, did we? God placed us here. God has a purpose for us, each and every one of us. I think part of our goal is to find out what that purpose is, right? Maybe it's just help somebody one day. God has a purpose for us. And everything that we can do, he enabled us to do. Now I want to go back to the Good Samaritan in the worldview of a Good Samaritan today. What does the world think is a Good Samaritan? Certainly not looking at priests and ministers. They're looking at other things. But they will say a missionary would be a good Samaritan, right? We have, I think Scotty said, we have two mission, missionaries going out this week. Uh, Roberto's in the air. Uh, we send teams around the world. We have missions around the world that we support. Missionary, good thing. Aid workers, charities, um, the UN, movie stars, um, aid workers. They donate to different things. Um, it's a good thing. A soldier under fire, saving a young child, dragging him out of the street, or a police officer out there serving and protecting the people, or a fireman that goes charging through the front door into a burning building to save people. Again, all are good things. Everything there is a good thing. Mother Teresa and others like her, it's a good thing. But the motives, what about the motives? Are the motives right for these things? Remember the movie stars and people like that? I mean, we just have, uh, we have one that not long ago was building orphanages in Africa. Um, I remember 9-11, another one came out and gave a million dollars out of her pocket, and, and somebody else did something else. And the motives. Matthew 6, 1, be careful. 
not to do your acts of righteousness before men, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. We, need, we always need to ask ourselves, is my action bringing glory to God or myself? Two, is my action pleasing to God? And three, are my actions imitating the love of Christ? Three is the key. If they are, then you got the last, the first two. Remember what the Bible says in James 2, 26. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Now, gifts from God. Everybody knows what spiritual gifts are, right? How about gifts of talents? I believe that if you can sing, God gave you that ability. I can't sing. Wish I could. I love music. Um, and I don't know. Anybody remember our gang? Alfalfa? That's me. But my wife and I have fun with it. I love the Righteous Brothers. Anybody that knows the Righteous Brothers, they have those high notes. Picture me doing a high note. But in the car on the way out to the desert or something, we'll put it on and we'll sing all the way there. It's hilarious. <laughs> okay. If you can design a rocket ship, God gave you that ability. And again, me, I can't even make a paper airplane fly. So I can't do a rocket ship. If you're a great athlete, God gave you that ability. I play golf, that's it. We need to give glory to God for everything he enables us to do everything he enables us to have. God is benevolent towards us. He gives us not only what we need, but so much more. Hallelujah. Amen. Life can be fairly easy when God is providing everything, right? God's providing food for us, a home for us. But godliness... Remember, it says that he has given us everything we need for life and godliness. The godliness, we need to sacrifice some. We need to stretch ourselves. We need to move on, move forward. We can do that by fixing our eyes on Jesus. Now, I'd like to think, what would Jesus do in this situation? He'd make the right choice. He do what needed to be done. He healed on the Sabbath, healed lepers, healed the blind, crippled, deaf. He cast out demons, raised the dead, and on and on. He did what was right. And he did it even if it was the Sabbath. They tried to trick him many times with that. Now, if we take a moment to ask ourselves, what would Jesus do? Remember the bracelet, WWJD? 
great thing. What would Jesus do? We may make the right choice, but unless we're already doing it, we probably won't. You play the game like you practice it. Play the game like you practice it. Now, how can we practice this? How can we practice being a good Samaritan? Find somebody that's all beat up and go help them? No. Little things. Little things. And I was thinking about what little things. You're going to go grocery shopping. Pull into the shopping center. Get out of your car. You're walking up to the, the doors. And you see somebody unloading their cart just about done. You walk over and say, can I take that for you? And you take the cart for them. They don't have to walk it over to the, uh, the cart stand. Or you're coming out of the store and you unload your groceries in your car and of course you're tempted to leave the cart right there on the, the little island or something. But you take your cart and you're walking down to put it on the cart stand. You see another one that somebody left haphazardly in the parking lot. Grab that one, stick them together. The two roll as easy as one. All right? So that, that's practicing to do what's right. Another good one, and I failed at this one at one time. Have you ever gone to Fry's electronic store, maybe on a Sunday? I mean, it's a zoo. You go into that parking lot, it is packed. And I was a new Christian at the time. And I went in there, and I'm waiting almost patiently for a parking space. So I'm just sitting in my car, waiting for somebody to come out, get in the car, pull out so I can pull in. Finally, guy comes out, gets in his car. I see him started. I see the brake lights go on. I see the backup lights go on, and I'm ready to pull into this parking spot. As soon as he backs out, a BMW comes flying around the corner and zooms right into my spot. I was furious. So I, I go running over and I said, that's my spot. And we start arguing. The guy gets out of his car. We're, we're toe to toe, face to face, yelling back and forth. Anyway, I ended up walking away. Not in a good mood. But by the time I found a parking spot, God had convicted me that I was wrong, that I needed to go apologize to this guy. So now, not only was I wrong, I had to go into Fry's, find this guy, and apologize. <laughs> uh, it, it turned out okay. I found him, and I apologized. And he said, yeah, I probably shouldn't have taken your parking spot. <laughs> so, who knows, you know? But to do what's right, that's what God calls us to. So now, I think that if I'm waiting, especially Christmas time, parking spots are tough to find. If I'm waiting for a parking spot and I see somebody pull in, I say, go ahead, have that parking spot. And then generally, I find a better one. But God is good. This is practicing, practicing being a good Samaritan. Play the game like you practice it. It'll come naturally. Okay, 1 John 3, 16, 17. 
This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Amen. We call to lay down his life for us. Lay down our life for our brothers. Um, it's like baptism, isn't it? Dying with Christ. We are Christ followers, right? Um, James 1, 22 to 25. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. Not forgetting what he has heard. Amen? Now, we know the man that uh, was beaten was a Jew. He wasn't a Samaritan. But it didn't seem to matter. What mattered was the reaction of the Jews and the Samaritans. Matthew 5:43 You've heard that it was said love your neighbor hate your enemy but <clears throat> but I tell you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you I would say the good Samaritan had a good grasp on that They were persecuted right They were enemies He still reached out He still did what what God would have him do. Now, it's obvious who should have had the love of God in their heart. The priest was his job. The Levite was his job. God was paying them to do these things, to be priestly, to be a minister, to look after the people. But they didn't. The Good Samaritan did. Now, I've got a couple of verses. First Old Testament. Proverbs 25, 21, 22. If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will re re reward you. New Testament. Romans 12, 2021. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Burning coals on his head. You know the story of Elijah and the soldiers when they came after him? Fifty soldiers. Called fire down from heaven. Poof. Destroyed. Gone. Consumed. And they sent more, and they did the same thing. Well, this isn't it, okay? Sometimes with our enemies, we may want to call fire down from heaven, right? But this isn't it. This is a worse kind of fire. It's a fire of conviction. 
conviction. That was only a little bit for me with that guy passing him by on the side of the road. No, conviction. The more we pray, the more convicted our enemies are going to be on what they're doing wrong. Burning coals on their head. Story of the Good Samaritan. It allows us to see the heart attitude of the religious leaders of the time. Jesus used it to uh, use the illustration to convict them. Yeah, convict them. And today it continues to reveal the attitudes of our heart, the condition of our heart. Now, what is the conditions of a heart? Do we know our own heart? Does anybody else know our heart? God does. But we can seek it out. We can find out. We can examine ourselves. 2 Corinthians 13, 5 to 7. Examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. And I trust that you will discover that we have not failed the test. You know, there is a good Samaritan. His name's Jesus. When we were at our lowest, beaten by the enemy, held captive in sickness, drowning in sin, he came and lifted us from the depths of our depression, took our infirmities, and paid the price for our sins that we might live. Thank you, Lord. Now, as the Good Samaritan tended to the, uh, the man's wounds, Ezekiel 34, I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the Sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. But the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. Thank you, Lord. Now, I want to ask you something. What do you think is the hardest part of doing the weekend service? Standing up here in front of the congregation and speaking? No. That can be a little terrifying sometimes. Let me tell you, it can. But it's doing the study. As I read and I start seeking God in prayer to put something together, and I, I open up Scripture to see what God is saying, okay? But you know, the first person that hears what God is saying is me. Cuts right to the heart. God's Word is like a two-edged sword. Cuts both ways. So I hear when I'm reading. I understand where I'm falling short, where I can do better, where I need to change. We all do, right? We all need to do better. But God's word, it's awesome. You know, I was thinking, it's really um, fruitful to study, to do a message. Whether you're ever going to do a message or not, pick a topic Put together a sermon. Put together notes. Be amazed at what, you, what God reveals to you in doing this. It's an awesome experience. 
couple of quick things. Philippians 3, 13 and 14. Brothers, I do not consider myself to have taken, yet to have taken hold. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for what God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. On your note, you have three more questions. Are we thankful? Do we love Jesus? He who has my commands and obeys them is one who loves me. That's what Jesus said. Do we love our fellow man? And in the beginning, I asked that you were a giving person. Ask yourself again and see if you have the same answer. I have been closing right there, but with something Alan said uh, during the, the song, America the Beautiful, I thought of a, uh, a verse that I think is appropriate for our country, because we need to be praying, praying for our leaders, praying for our country. Second Chronicles 7.14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and will heal their land. Amen? Amen. We need God. Only God can heal our land. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the story of the Good Samaritan. Uh, and Father, I pray right now that as we go out from here that we would remember this and that it would help guide us and lead us into the truths that you want us to, to do, Father, into the, the love you want us to show and into the people you want, to be, want us to be uh, ministers to. So, Lord, we, uh, we lift this up. And, and Lord, I also uh, pray a blessing on this congregation as they go off for the week. Pray you would keep them safe, bless their homes, their, their finances, uh, just all they do, and their health, Father. I lift them up to you in Jesus' name. Amen.